This will be, to many of you, a very familiar scripture reading from the Gospel of Matthew. It is the story of Palm Sunday. It is from the 21st chapter of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. When they had come near Jerusalem and reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a colt and a donkey tied. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. Well, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. The crowd then spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The sons are reading from the Gospel of Matthew. And may these words, which once transformed the disciples' hearts, transform our hearts as well. Will you pray with me? Merciful and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully. Amen. Some years back, when I was the guest minister doing a wedding at another church, and I was there for the evening of the rehearsal, and being the kind of church geek that I am, I was wandering around trying to get the lay of the land and my secret is, if I visit the church that maybe you were at it sometime or another, I'm going to go to the bulletin board. I, I might actually want to read the annual report of the church. I would. I would look at the new member stuff. I would maybe borrow some ideas for adult Christian exploration. And, and so I was perusing their bulletin board, and I came upon a single sheet of white paper on which someone had typed a phrase that I'd never seen before, but I've heard since a couple of times, and it was these words, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you figure out why you were born. As I've read this morning's passage, which I have read for many years now, preparing for Palm Sunday, those words came back to me, and I began to wonder about the people who had been standing there as Jesus walked by from the Mount of Olives and the procession that followed him as he rode on a donkey. What were they thinking? Those people standing on the side of the road, did they... Did they think that this might be one of those moments that would define why they were born? I mean, did they think this is a moment of choice? I can, I can stand on the sidelines here, or I can join that group that follows him and, and maybe even be what they were calling themselves disciples. Or did they think, eh, it wasn't much, drop their palm branches and simply go back to their homes and read the paper? Or would they continue to shout, Hosanna, 
and wave the palms and shouting Hosanna had a meaning. It means, literally, save us. So we don't really know if they shouted it joyfully, save us, or if they said it more plaintively. Hosanna, Hosanna. But maybe, maybe a few of them thought of this as a defining moment in their life, the reason they were born. Now the tradition of waving palms, it was so lovely, Meredith, at both services led our children out, shouting Hosanna, waving the palms. But the tradition of waving palms is arrived 200 years before Jesus did in Jerusalem. And it began with Judas of Maccabeus. No relationship to the Judas who betrays Jesus. But Judas of Maccabeus returns to Jerusalem a victorious warrior. Judas of Maccabeus had led a revolt against a Greek ruler who had been a tyrant and oppressive of the Jews. And what the Greek tyrant had done was, and this is true blasphemy, he had erected a shrine to Zeus. And not just anywhere in Jerusalem, but a shrine to Zeus right in the middle of the temple. Maybe the most blasphemous thing you could do. And Judas of Maccabeus, two centuries before Jesus, drove the Greek tyrant from the city, and when he and the soldiers returned, they were heroes, and the crowd cut palms and branches and waved them. But we imagine that Judas of Maccabeus was on a white steed with a, with a sword in his hand, and, and he was followed by proud and maybe even preening soldiers as they marched back into the city triumphantly. Maybe that's what the crowd expected again that day when Jesus arrives on a donkey trailed by this sort of ragtag group of followers who, to most of the urbane Jerusalem citizens, were nothing but country bumpkins. I mean, it must have been incredibly unimpressive. In fact, I've always imagined the disciples shuffling along, not marching proudly, maybe even anxious and looking furtively from side to side because going into Jerusalem, going into Jerusalem is dangerous. I mean, this is not a good idea. The disciples knew it. They'd been sort of discouraging Jesus, but there's an old saying that the more Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem, the less the disciples seem to understand him. The disciples knew that the things that Jesus had been teaching, and they probably anticipated that the actions he might take in Jerusalem, well, those actions and those things that he was saying can get you killed. Jerusalem was going to be a dangerous place, and the disciples discouraged him. But for those who stood on the side of the road and waved the palms or laid them in the street, for some of them, maybe it was that crystal moment. And they joined the ragtag parade and became a follower of this peculiar man from Nazareth in Galilee. And maybe when they looked back on that day, it was clear to them that that was the day on which 
they began to understand why they were born. Well, what's a preacher to say on a Sunday such as this? I mean, Palm Sunday and Holy Week itself is so laden with meaning. The story is so powerful and so dramatic that we move from today and, and the waving of the palms and the shouts or the prayers of save us, Hosanna. We come to the betrayal of Jesus on Thursday. We come to the discordant cries of crucify him on Friday. And then the sweet alleluias of Easter. I mean, the drama of Palm Sunday and Holy Week is bound to overshadow anything a preacher will say, and, and that's probably how it should be. And yet, and yet it is the challenge of a pastor to help a congregation assume their place in this drama of salvation. It is the challenge of the preacher to help you find yourself in the crowd, discerning whether you're going to keep waving palms and shouting Hosanna or whether you'll just simply shrug your shoulders and go home. Part of the story is that it says that the crowds during Holy Week keep a distance from Jesus. It says that even at the cross, the crowd stood at a distance. The Greek word is makron, and it means simply a gap. And apparently his followers stood at a distance as well because they followed behind him, it said, at a distance. I mean, after all, any prudent person might have wanted to hold back from that kind of action. There is, well, if there's trouble, you don't want guilt by association, right? But that's not the only time Jesus' followers keep their distance. Because the night of Jesus' betrayal, when he's arrested and led away, it says that Peter, the unofficial leader of the church, Peter, you will be the rock on which the church will build, will be built. Peter, it says, Macron stayed back at a distance. I mean, he did. He stayed at a distance despite all his boasting about following Jesus no matter where he goes, what he does. You know, I got your back, dude. That's not actually in scripture, but you know what I mean. And it says that instead, Macron, he kept his distance. Well, I don't know, maybe for many of us, that's a very human experience because most of us want to dip our toes in something new before we, before we agree to dive in. And even our kind of church affirms that it's okay to, to wade slowly into faith's ocean before jumping into the waves. But I suppose that also means that for many of us, we begin our relationship with Jesus at a distance. But here's what's astonishing, at least to me, is that God closes the gap for us. Because there's yet another use of the Greek word makron. And it's used not only to, to say at a distance, but it's used to describe closing the distance as well. It's used to describe how God 
bridges the, the sort of chasm that we seem to create in our daily lives between God and us. And the word appears in the story of the prodigal son. Jesus says that the father, the loving parent, who waits for the prodigal son to return, when the father saw him, Macron, at a distance, the loving parent races out of the house to embrace him. And it's there that the word apparently changes to mean the action of closing the gap. And that loving parent does not wait for the Lenten confession to be, to be spoken, doesn't wait for a sacrifice to be made, something to be given up during the season of Lent. The loving parent did not wait even for the forgiveness to be begged for or asked for. But the loving parent races out and closes the distance and embraces you. Sometimes God in all of God's goodness, is constantly working to close that gap no matter how hard we try to stand back from the crowd. But maybe that is part of the power and the drama of Holy Week. It does bridge the chasm between us and God. You know, later this week, Thursday night, at Monday, Thursday, we will retell the story of the Last Supper, the Passover meal, and the story of Jesus' betrayal and death. Now, as long as almost anyone has been around here, we have had a Monday, Thursday service, and the exact same story is told every year. It never changes. But the reason we retell it is because of the effect the story has on us. And I think that effect was described in a wonderful movie called Jesus of Montreal. And in the movie, a church has hired a group of actors to portray the story of Jesus' passion, that is, of Holy Week, his death and resurrection. The actors are all completely secular. They're modern folk who have no commitment or desire to know the story of Jesus, but it's a paying gig. And yet... Because they have to rehearse the story, by rehearsing it night after night, the actors are slowly transformed, their hearts strangely warmed by the story they are learning and preparing to tell. Slowly but surely, the story becomes more and more their own. They had stood at a distance from God, but slowly the gap between God and them was being bridged. Thursday night, once again the table will be set here. and We will remember the scene in which Jesus offers bread and juice, invites us to a meal, and invites us to become actors in this communion story of God's love and forgiveness. And in the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the cup this morning and Thursday night as well, we will remember that God is bound and determined to bring us close, to bridge the distance. And when we accept that God 
loves us and forgives us, then you know what? Then I think we are free to remember why we were born. And the why is to love and serve God. That's part of the promise of Holy Week. The promise to all of us who are, for the moment, still at a distance. Amen.